0: Well, good morning, Second Service. So glad that you're here this morning, Uh, this exciting time to be a part of God's church. Here at Oakwood, we are a church that is growing to know, love, and live Jesus, and we do that through community, we do that through Bible teaching, we do that through all of the ways that we can to grow in our faith and our our knowledge of Jesus Christ, and so glad that you're a part uh, of it this morning here. This is part two of this series on the 24 hours, the last 24 hours of the life of Christ, and so Um, Again, so excited that you're here with us this morning. Uh, You can follow along in your Bible this morning with all the scriptures. You're also welcome uh, to use your phone to download the Oakwood app and uh, go to uh, Sermon Notes in the app, and all of the scriptures and and bullet points and everything will be there for you. We just want you to engage the Word of God this morning as we study it together. I don't know if uh, you all have had this opportunity to go out to Enid uh, Woodring Municipal Airport, but there is a display out there that is a replica of the Vietnam Memorial Wall. Um, it's called the Woodring Wall of Honor. Has anyone ever been out there? Been out there to see that? All right, several of you, um, so you know what I'm talking about. This is a replica of what they have in Washington, D.C. in the Vietnam uh, Memorial. Um, it, it's actually just like the one in D.C., except it's 75% scale of the size. So the one in D.C. is a little bit larger. But it has all of the same elements, all of the same names. Everything is the same on the wall. Now, there's something very interesting that I found out um, about that wall uh, recently. It it was built in 1981, opened to the public in 1982. And on that wall, there are these three names, Robert Bedker, Willard Craig, and Daryl Lausch. Now it wasn't until 1986, 1987 that someone discovered there's actually an heir on the wall, and that those three names, Robert Willard and Darrell, uh, they were actually listed on the wall as killed in action in Vietnam, but they're but they're alive. And, and what's amazing about that is it was actually a clerical heir in the Armed Services that put those names on the wall. Now they wanted to take their names off the wall, but because it's it's built the way it is a granite stone there's no way to safely do that without cracking or destroying it and so those names are still on the wall and how they discovered it it was actually one of the relatives of Robert Bedker that actually was at the Vietnam Memorial and saw his name and knew and knew like you know is there another Robert Bedker that was you know killed in action and so they did a little research and found out that he was that the The date, it's always sequential on the wall, but the date that's actually on there uh, for him and where the position was, was the day that he was wounded, but not killed in action. And that was the same for a couple of the other names. And so what's interesting about that is they celebrate because they thought they were dead when really they're alive, right? And that would be something definitely to celebrate. Today, as we continue in our series on the last 24 hours of the life of Christ, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a memorial that reminds us, too, that we were once dead in our sins and our transgressions, but we were made alive in Christ Jesus. We need to remember what Jesus wants us to remember. And so let's go back to last week and, and where we began here. The disciples and Jesus were gathered in the upper room to celebrate the Passover. Now, hopefully uh, you you read John 13 through 17, maybe sometime this week. So you saw exactly what Jesus was talking about in regards to the disciples and helping them to prepare for the future. In that upper room discourse, it culminates with this meal that we would call Passover or Holy Communion. And at the very end of Jesus' discourse with his close friends, they celebrate a meal that will literally last into eternity, the Last Supper when Jesus initiates the Lord's Supper, which we partake in every week as believers. And this was never intended to be a single celebration, but it was a celebration that was to go on for a long, long time, because that's how Passover had been going. In fact, you might think, well, yeah, this this sacred ritual of communion really has been going for 2,000 years, right? It's been going 2,000 years since the time of, of Jesus and the disciples taking it in the upper room. But when you understand its attachment to the Passover Seder... That the Jews observe, you can actually know that this has really been ongoing for 3,500 years. So this is what I want us to understand this morning. The Lord's Supper is the Passover passed through the person of Jesus. Let me say that again. The Lord's Supper is the Passover passed through the person of Jesus. Okay. Time out for just a second. Something is off on my head. No, this is not planned. Okay. This has nothing to do with the message this morning except I don't want that flying out on me the whole time. Okay. Okay, sorry about that. It was just going to bother me. that's just floating on my ear the whole time. That's why this thing's live, right? You know, <laughs> we, don't, we don't pre-record these things. Um, and that wasn't rehearsed. So aren't you proud of me, sound team, that I got that back on? It only took like 15 seconds. So. so let's begin this morning, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Luke's gospel, this is at the very beginning of this time with the disciples in the, in the upper room with Jesus. And they're about to celebrate Passover. And here's how that part begins. Luke 22, verses 14 through 16. When the hour had, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I want you to notice there that Jesus said, hey, I I eagerly desire to celebrate this Passover meal with you before I suffer. He wanted to share this time with him. He knew that this was going to be his last earthly Passover. And Jesus, of course, knew, I'm going to bring so much more meaning tonight to this meal. This is a meal that will go on with you forever. And so the next passage we're going to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is in a section where the Apostle Paul is talking to the Christians in the church in Corinth about communion. And so we're going to pick up his narrative in uh, verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What that means is that you are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. You're proclaiming the Lord's death on the cross. This is a time where we remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Now you think about this, last 24 hours, last meal that he's sharing with the disciples, Jesus is bringing about so much meaning through the Passover meal, through that Passover Seder, and now bringing it in that that there's even deeper meaning now because of what he's fulfilling through that meal. Now, if you think about this, meals have always been a big deal. And if you study the Bible, you know that the Jews, they like to celebrate and make observances over meals. They called them feasts. And you remember all the feasts of the Israelites, don't you? I mean, there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement. I mean, you get the point, right? There's feasting and feasting and feasting. And sometimes we look at that and go, oh, that's so silly. Look at all the feasts they have. But we do the same thing today. We may not call it a feast, but we we celebrate and observe significant occasions over food. When you are at a wedding, there's often a reception where you will have wedding cake right sometimes they will actually serve you sandwiches or or serve you a meal you know you have all these snacky items and stuff but we celebrate and observe that wedding through food through a feast many families have a tradition of the birthday you know when there's a birthday boy the birthday girl they get to what they have mom or grandma make their favorite meal right and they get to celebrate and observe that together through this meal. Or sometimes maybe your tradition is they get to go out to their favorite restaurant, right, and have someone else cook and clean up. And, but whatever it is, again, it's another significant observance of a marker in someone's life. We, we, we eat at weddings, we eat at, we eat at uh, birthdays, and also uh, sometimes after a funeral, we might have what's called a funeral dinner. It's a time where the family gathers once again. It's a feast. It's around food again where they remember the loss of their loved one and they they share sympathy and empathy with one another. Sometimes I think of it as Christmas time, those cookies dutifully left out for Santa. But we seal business deals with a meal. We seal future plans with a meal. And sometimes we even seal relationships with a meal. And so for the Jews, the most sacred feast or meal of all of their observances was this passover meal and it was instituted in egypt the night of the exodus some 1500 years before christ and if you remember that meal it was with a roasted lamb an unleavened bread because they didn't give time for the bread to rise because they were going to be leaving egypt with well, those bitter herbs to remind us of the bitterness of their slavery, the people of God remembered their bitter bondage in Egypt. Here's how More and Wies describes that Passover night. They said this, "...both wine and blood flowed before the angel of death passed by. It must have been a glorious, eerie, and horrid night. Shrieks and moans shrouded from the Israelite ghetto in Egypt." All who believed God's liberator Moses were spared from death with the promise of future freedom and all the other firstborns died you see the Passover was equivalent to the Jews as the American Revolution is to us and let me explain what I mean by that that meal And that night of Passover meant independence from their overlord, Egypt. The Hebrews had been enslaved in Egypt for several hundred years. And the Hebrews now were going to have freedom from their oppressor. It meant freedom through God and, if you think about it, the birth of the nation of Israel. And because of that, year after year, they would take the Passover meal and they would sit with their families on a special designated night with a roasted lamb and unleavened bread and bitter herbs and wine. And this meal symbolized their roots and embodied their loyalty to God. And it's much the same way as we think of communion or the Lord's Supper. Some churches may call it the Eucharist. Our identity as Christians is wrapped up in a meal with Jesus. And so Jesus takes the disciples to this upper room and gives Passover a whole deep meaning. Because now he's introducing himself to them. Remember, this is just several hours before the trials, before he's going to die on the cross. He's now introducing himself to them as the Passover lamb. And Jesus did not forget the meaning of that Passover meal. He just presents himself to those disciples in that upper room in this way. He says that I am the new Moses, sent to liberate God's people. If they follow him, they will be moved from slavery of sin to freedom in Christ. And Jesus suggests that his blood, shed just as the Passover lambs, is our protection from spiritual death and a promise of new life in him. What a special time that we get to observe and celebrate as a church and as Christians every week. But I want to get really honest and really raw this morning. When we do this every week, do you give special attention to communion? When you have that opportunity to be at the Lord's table, do you make that a priority every week? Do you block out all the distractions? Maybe it's conversations you've been having. Maybe it's doodling on a piece of paper. Maybe it's note-taking. Maybe it's something on your phone. But do you put all of that away to be in that moment to observe Jesus' death, to remember his sacrifice? Because this meal has a very high cost and that it costs the Son of God's life. And what did Jesus ask those disciples in that upper room? He says, to do this in remembrance of me. To do this t- to remember. It's not just to reflect on some past event that this is something that happened in the past. You see, when the Hebrews encircled a table at the Passover meal, it was not just an object lesson about their past. It was a commitment to their present and their fellowship together and a promise of the future that God was bringing before them. When they took that Passover meal, they were pledging their allegiance to their Deliverer, the Most High God, Jehovah. And that was embodied in that meal. And sometimes I think God knows that we remember best through reenactment, through participation. When we take the Lord's scepter, we are reenacting, we are participating in the sacrifice and remembrance of the Son of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, it says this, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? You see, through this meal that we call communion, we participate in the life and the death of Jesus. What's interesting is that word there used in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, participation, is actually a Greek word that you would be familiar with, but you probably wouldn't expect it to be translated this way. It's a Greek word called koinonia. Now, if you've been at Oakwood through the fall, we actually spent four weeks talking about koinonia. Koinonia is deep fellowship. Not some association, not some, hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. No. It's not that type of relationship. It's a deep fellowship and understanding. It's a fellowship by association. It's community. It's joint participation. It is intimacy with one another. And so what it's saying there in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 is that through this cup and through this bread, we have koinonia, deep fellowship with one another and with Jesus Christ himself. And as we participate in communion and as we take part in that, there are several different areas of reflection for the believer as we take the Lord's Supper. And I want to share those with you this morning. The first one is this. We need to reflect outward. When we take communion, we reflect outward. Now, I know you're thinking right now, you're like, reflect outward. Like, what does that mean exactly? Because I'm focused on this inward experience, you know, me and Jesus. What do you mean? By reflect outward. Why would one reflect outward when they're taking communion? We look into this meal as a body of believers. And it is to be observed with the body of Christ, the fellowship of the saints, his church. Communion not only connects us to Jesus, it connects us to one another. And it reminds us that we are his body, scripture says. That we are his church and that we are not only connected, but we are committed to him and to one another. Imagine what it was like to be in the upper room. They gathered around a table. Whether the table was oblong or round or rectangular or square, it didn't matter. When you go around a table with people, you're what? You're looking across the table at other people. You're looking outward at other people. And when Jesus gathered those disciples in the upper room and gave this special meaning and significance to Passover and said, this is going to be holy communion, this is my body and this is my blood, he was also connecting them to one another. And so when we take communion, it's important that we look outward to one another. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. The verse I just read, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ, it is not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. Now catch this, verse 17. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are now what? We are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Just a couple chapters later, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12-14, it says this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts... But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We are all one body, the body of Christ. There are many parts. You look around this room. We had first service today, lots of people here. First service, it's you look around, it's like there's many, many parts to this body, but we are all one. And this is a meal of unity. We're united believers around Christ and in Christ through this table, partaking of these emblems together. Now, I want you to think about it this morning like this. Because in just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together as a church. When we take communion together this morning, it's not only us in this room and in this church and in this sanctuary, but it is all believers who are taking communion everywhere all around the world. Literally millions of people will commune and come around the Lord's table this morning. And so it's important that we remember to look outward to the fellowship of believers This meal is a meal that unites us in Jesus Christ and unites us around this table. I know several, uh, many people think, well, this is supposed to be a, a private act. But in the scripture, it's always taken with a group. It's always a fellowship of believers that are taking communion together. And there was, what was that word? Participation was translated koinonia. There's actually deep intimacy and fellowship with Jesus and with those believers his body, the church, around his table. So remember as you take communion to look outward. But also, number two, remember to look inward. We also want to reflect inward. Now this is the part that most of us are like, yes, this is the part I understand. This is the part I, I totally get. Through this meal, we look inward into our hearts. And at this time of communion, catch this, because I think so many Christians miss this or kind of dismiss this. This is a time of introspection, of examination, and of cleansing. What did your mom tell you to do when you were a kid before you sit down to a meal? When mom was preparing the meal and and, and you're about to eat and she'd call you inside, what would she say? She'd say, go wash up. Right. Go, Go wash up. And, and that's a good habit to have, right? Before you're eating with your hands and you, you're bringing whatever you've touched with your hands to the table, you would go and wash up. You would go and wash your hands. And isn't it ironic that before you sit down to a meal, you would wash your hands usually, but this is a meal which actually washes us through the blood of Jesus. And so because of that, we take it very serious. and there's warning. So just on the heels of what we just read, 1 Corinthians um, 11, 23 through 26. Here it continues, verse 27. <clears throat> it says, therefore, because this is the body and blood of Christ, it says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. What is God saying to us there? This is serious. This, this, this is holy. This is not snack time. This isn't, you know, break moment in the service. This isn't something different. Jesus wanted to touch the senses to wake us up, to get us to remember his sacrifice. When we do this, we want to do this in a way that is worthy of Jesus' sacrifice. I don't know about you, but maybe through life sometimes maybe in my younger and more immature days, days that maybe I was a little more distracted, I may have taken communion in an unworthy manner that wasn't befitting of remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. If you were at a funeral dinner with your family, I think it would be reasonable for you to expect a certain a, a, a certain way for people to act at that meal. There there would be this unspoken expectation that you would be what? You'd be respectful, right? We're remembering someone's life. And so if you were at your funeral dinner and there was this table over there and they're just cutting up and they're like you know, having a food fight and, and you're like, that is inappropriate. Folks, how much more is it inappropriate for us as Christians to not come into this moment of communion with Seriousness to take and make this moment what it's to be. It's, it's a moment of worship. It's a moment of what did Jesus say to him? He said, Do this in remembrance of me. This is my time. You focus on me. You focus on my sacrifice. It is my blood that is shed for you that saves you from your sin. This isn't a time we quickly throw back food. It's not a time that we talk. It's not a time that we're distracted by our phones or anything else. We dedicate this moment to Jesus. And then Paul goes on there in verses 28 and 29, 1 Corinthians 11. He says, So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, in other words, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, eat or drink judgment on themselves. That word examine there means to test, to let, prove, to scrutinize. It says so that we must test ourselves, prove ourselves, to scrutinize ourselves. Are we really in the faith? Are we really following Jesus? Are we really loving Jesus? And then later in that that verse, it talks about discerning, that we are to be judging and deciding, discerning the body of Christ. Are we in the faith? Are we believing? Are we trusting Are we worshiping? Is Jesus center? And then at the end there, it talks about eating or drinking judgment on themselves. That word judgment there has this sense uh, in the Greek of the word condemnation. And if you look it up in the old, old, old King James, it even says there, damnation. That when we take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And this is why... We believe that a non-believer should not take communion. I know there's so many people through the years, well, you know, I think if they're a non-believer, they could take communion and it will be okay. But think about it. Does it make sense for someone who says, I do not call Jesus Savior and Lord. He is not my Savior. He is not my Lord. Does it make sense for that person to then be in this moment with all of these warnings and all of these guidelines and remember the sacrifice for their sins that they reject. And of course, when I put it that way, everybody's already shaking their heads. It's like, no, that doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. I mean, how would you have, what would, would we read earlier? Participation was koinonia. How would we have intimate fellowship with someone that we don't have a relationship with at all? It, it would be like this. If we're in a basketball game and we're in a timeout, we're having a team huddle, and, and we're all circled up there and we're all listening to the coach, and someone from the opposing team comes over and becomes a part of our huddle. To listen and be a part. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, you got a team, your jersey's red, we're the blue team. Go back to your huddle, right? I mean, it, just, it doesn't even make sense. They would do what? They would kick them out of the huddle. Why? Because you're not a part. You are, you are on the opposing team until you give your life to Jesus. It'd be the same thing if you are having a family meal. Maybe you're going out to a restaurant here and eating it today. You're sitting down with your family. Uh, everyone's there. You're fixing to order. And some person you've never seen or met before comes over, plots himself down, opens up a menu, and puts it on your family's tab. <laughs> and they just join your family meal. And you're like, I mean, wouldn't that not be awkward? It's like, who are you and what are you doing here? Exactly. It's not that Jesus doesn't know who you are if you sat down at his table. But if, you've, if you know you know. have been presented the gospel and you reject him why would you want to commune with him that's why sometimes you might see around our sanctuary when we take communion together some people not taking communion I think it's because they're taking this verse seriously they don't want to take of it in an unworthy manner they want to take this in a way that would honor Jesus Christ and his sacrifice to hold it in a high and holy place and high esteem. Now, another thing that I want to clarify for us this morning, and you may have seen this if you've been at Oakwood for any amount of time, that when we take communion, oftentimes there's a slide that goes on the screen. And sometimes that slide says, we practice open communion. And so I, I think I want to just explain, what what does that mean? That the, the Oakwood practices open communion. What is open communion? What is closed communion? What, is, what does that mean? There are many churches and certain denominational backgrounds that would not allow you to take communion if you showed up at their church. You could show up as a, as a baptized believer in Jesus Christ and say, hey, Jesus Christ is my Savior. He is my Lord. And so I, I, I come and I, I want to commune. And some churches would say, no, 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 you cannot, you cannot be a part of that. And that's called closed communion. Here at Oakwood, we practice something that we call open communion. And what open communion means is it means that you are welcome around the Lord's table if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That you are welcome to come and partake with us. Now, you, we, we may not know you personally, or this may be your first or second time here, but if you say, hey, Jesus is my Savior and Lord, Jesus would say, you are welcome around my table. Now, some churches, you know, they believe that the emblems is passed through a priest. A minister, a pastor, whatever term you would use. And so that the act of communion is like you to the church leader, to Jesus. But in Hebrews, we read that Jesus is our high priest. And so because of that, we have direct line to the Heavenly Father now. We're not like the Jews back in the day where they're offering their sacrifices and everything was going to the priest to do that. Jesus is our high priest. He's seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father until he returns physically a second time. And so in this time period, he is there mediating on our behalf right beside the Heavenly Father. And so when we say that we practice open communion here, all that simply means is if you are a a believer in Jesus Christ and you call him your Savior and Lord, Jesus would say, you are welcome here. All our church does is provide the emblems. This isn't the elders' communion. It's not the, the, the staff's communion. It's not Oakwood's communion. This is... The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, the Lord's Communion. And it's a time that we want to reflect inward because it's through communion, I believe, that Jesus wants his followers to go back to square one and remember the basis of what it is all about. I am a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, and Jesus' sacrifice for my sins covered that. And that is the basis of our worship, of our faith, and everything to do with Oakwood Christian Church. And so that's why every week we come to this moment where we bring communion and we sit. And we look to the, we look, it's like we're seated at the foot of the cross of Calvary. We look to Jesus and his sacrifice and we remember his brokenness so that we could be made whole. The last thing this morning is we need to reflect forward and upward. So we reflect outward, we reflect inward. We also need to reflect forward and upward. Let me explain what I mean by that. We reflect forward to the future, looking to the future in communion. We also reflect upward to heaven because that's ultimately our our home, And we will have eternal fellowship, partnership, participation, koinonia, in heaven with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ someday. Sometimes people uh, approach uh, communion as a very, very sad time. I don't think it's to be a sad time, but I think it is to be a very serious time. But this is also a glad time for the followers of Jesus. As we look to these emblems, we envision a risen Savior who overcame that cross on our behalf, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, full of glory, and he is hosting a dinner in his honor. And those that are believers, there he sits in heaven, our advocate, pleading our case before his heavenly Father. He is our defense. He's the only hope that we have, and he's preparing a place for us. He is the reason we can overcome our fallen state in this world. And it is through this meal of communion that we look forward and we look upward, even into eternal life. And Jesus concludes the Last Supper with his disciples with this verse, Matthew 26, 29. He said, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. It was the last time he would eat this meal on earth. But he told the disciples, I'm not doing it again until I do it again with you in my Father's kingdom. In other words, this memorial meal that we participate in is a prelude to a coming feast in heaven that will go on forever. There will be this huge meal, this great feast at the banquet hall in the New Jerusalem and in the presence of Jesus himself. Can you imagine What that will be like and it's in this essence that the lord's supper looks forward and upward to heaven as a reminder of things to come for those that believe in jesus and so i invite you today to look outward to look inward to look forward and upward because soon we will share this meal with him in heaven Which is why I say this is a meal that lasts into eternity.